Good morning, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. And today we'll be looking at Psalm 22 as we begin our series on the Psalms. And we'll be reading verses 1 through 2, 14 to 18, and 22 to 26. Hear now the reading of God's word. Psalm 22, starting from verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. And then jumping down to verses 14 to 18. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And then we're going to jump down to verses 22 to 26, and we see a little bit of a change here. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. This is God's word. And as we begin in our series on the Psalms, one of the things that we love about all of the Psalms is that they are very honest. These are prayers, songs, laments, cries before God that are very real, filled with pain complaints, confession of sin, as well as genuine worship and praise and adoration to God. And it's no different for Psalm 22. Our psalmist, King David, begins by saying, or rather he says in this psalm, that he is being laid down in the dust of death. And he even begins this psalm more famously by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we don't know exactly the circumstance that he was in, but we do know that he feels like death is at his door. He's suffering, and there are people that are against him. And for you and for me, especially during this pandemic, now in this second wave, it has definitely caused us to come face to face with our own mortality. And for many of us, even apart from covid you might feel just like David, that for whatever personal circumstance you're going through, you might feel like you're in the dust of death. And for most of us, if not all of us, I think we all feel like David when he says, my strength is dried up. Emotionally, mentally, spiritually, you might even feel fatigued and weary as we continue to wrestle with a troublesome 2020. Not only is our mortality in the forefront of our minds, but things like injustice, racism, polarization, division, just a general sense of discouragement. 
it's true for all of us. I think it's safe to say Psalm 22 resonates with us deeply. But David actually doesn't just only talk about his pain here in this psalm. He moves from pain to praise. He worships God saying things like, in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And here in Psalm 22, we see this great coexistence of lament as well as worship to God. So we're going to look more deeply into Psalm 22 and ask ourselves, how are we to worship God in the midst of our pain? How are we to worship God when we're in the dust of death? How are we to move from pain to praise? And the first thing we see in Psalm 22 is, in your pain, you must recognize that it is a fight for worship. We got to fight for worship. I don't think it's shocking to anyone that a heart of praise doesn't always spring forth naturally in us, especially when we're hurting. And for David, what springs forth naturally is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he says things like, I am a worm, not a man. But David doesn't allow himself to just go with the flow when it comes to his despair. He fights for worship. And we see that clearly as we read this psalm. Before I went to seminary, uh, I used to teach English reading comprehension for a couple years overseas. And I'd always tell my students, whenever you're reading something, always look for the big butts. Look for the big butts. And some of my students would giggle because they're thinking about something else. But what I'm talking about is contrasting conjunctions. Words like but, yet, or even however. There's usually something important that comes after those words. And the same is true for Psalm 22. And in many verses throughout the psalm, we see this, uh, this kind of struggle, this fight for worship that, that David goes through. He starts by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then in verse 3, he says, yet you are holy. And then he goes back in verse 6, but I'm a worm. And then in verse 9, yet you are he who took me. From the womb. I am poured out like water, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. We need those big contrasting conjunctions in our fight for worship. David is a good fighter here in Psalm 22, even as he's in pain, even as he's in despair and distress. Because you got to think about what it means. What does it mean to fight? When one person just keeps hitting another person without ever getting hit back, that's not really a fight, right? Growing up, we might call that a beatdown. More seriously, you might call that uh, assault, and you might get arrested. But a fight happens when one person hits another person, and the other person keeps hitting back. And that's exactly what we see here in Psalm 22. It's a great example of fighting for worship. David, of course, has every reason and every right to feel discouraged and to grieve and to lament, but he doesn't get stuck there. With every downcast thought and downcast moment, he hits back with a but and a yet that leads him back to the worship of God. It reminds me of something Martin Lloyd-Jones once wrote in his book, Spiritual Depression. He writes this, The main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this, 
that we allow ourself to talk to us instead of talking to ourself. And he goes on to say, that sounds confusing. And then he says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? We need to be talking to ourselves, preaching the truth to ourselves, not just listening to ourselves as we fight for worship. And this fight is a fight to constantly and continuously look upward to God when Satan and our own sinful hearts keeps dragging our gaze inward at ourselves. In those same verses we just looked at a moment ago, we see this, this great fight between focusing inward and on ourselves and then looking upward to God. We see this. He says, yet you are holy, God. He's talking to God. He looks upward and then the gaze gets dragged back down. But I am a worm. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. I am poured out like water. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. And it's this fight to specifically keep saying, but God, yet God, yet you, O Lord, as we continue to preach to ourselves instead of just listening to ourselves, as we continue to fight to look upward to God instead of just looking inward at ourselves. And we do this so that we won't believe the lies. Satan loves to lie into our hearts. He loves to tell us and have us rehearse lies to ourselves. And of course, the scoffers of this world that we see in, in verses like verses 7 and 8 who mock David as he goes through his suffering. They like to lie to us too and cause us to lie to ourselves. And basically, all of these lies ultimately boil down to this. It's something along these lines. Because you are suffering, because you're in the dust of death, God must have abandoned you. That's a lie. If you don't get rescued from your pain, God must not be there. That's a lie. Satan loves to make us question our worth and how loved we are. But please don't believe those lies. Our psalmist David, the man after God's own heart, he was in the dust of death. We think about people like Job who was so faithful and he experienced unimaginable pain. And of course, throughout the history of God's people, so many of God's people have suffered in so many different ways. And God never left them. They never stopped being loved by God. In verse 29 of our text, it says this, All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. And the idea is they all worship. The ones who are prosperous as, as well as the ones who are going down to the dust. And we see here God is with the ones who are thriving. And he is with the ones who are even dying. Now don't get me wrong. You can always come to God honestly. That's the beauty of the Psalms. You can pray to God and ask God, rescue me from this situation. Take away my pain. Take away my sickness. Take away my loneliness. You can always be honest with your God and, and lay the desires of your heart at, your, at his feet. Just like David, he, he too also cries out, deliver me from the sword. Basically, he's saying, God, get me out of here. Get me out of this situation. 
But there is something even greater than a change of circumstance. And David, in Psalm 22, seeks something even greater. And that leads us to our second point. In your pain, seek the nearness of God above all else. Seek the nearness of God. For David, as he experiences all this trouble and distress, what is he ultimately requesting? We see that in verse 11. He says, be not far from me. He's saying, God, be near, be not far from me. And he repeats that request also in verse 19 of our text. And even in the opening of the psalm, famously, he cries out, why have you forsaken me? And the fundamental problem we see here is the seeming loss of relationship more than being in the dust of death itself. Basically, David is saying the ultimate problem is not my pain, but the fact that God feels far away. And that's what needs to change. He's seeking the nearness of God above all else. And of course, that's why we pray, right? That's why these Psalms are all prayers. We ask God and we lay down honestly the the desires of our hearts, but we don't always know what the Lord has in store. But one thing we do know is we need him to be near to us and he will be near to us, especially as we pray. And we see several other ways throughout this Psalm. We see David seeking the nearness of God through theology. In verses 3 and 4 of our text, he says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. And in the midst of his pain, David reminds himself of who God is. He reminds himself of the character of God and the characteristics of God. Namely, that he is holy, that he is worthy of praise, and that he's been faithful throughout the generations, throughout history. And for David, this isn't just head knowledge. You may have heard this before. Not all theologians are worshipers, but all worshipers are theologians. You can know a lot of theology, but not love God. But if you love God, you're going to know theology. You're going to know about him. You can't worship a God you don't really know much about. And good theology is always personal knowledge. It's not just knowing about God, but it's knowing God and therefore knowing about God. Some of you know I'm a big fan of Elvis Presley, and I know a lot about Elvis. But I don't know Elvis. I never knew Elvis, and more importantly, he never knew me. On the other hand, I know a lot about Priscilla Kim because I know her and she knows me. She's my wife. She's amazing. And of course, if I claim to love her, I have to know, I I better know a lot about her. And one of those things is head knowledge and one of those things is personal knowledge. And healthy, good theology will always be personal knowledge. And because you know God personally, you want to know more and more about him. And it's hard to feel near to God if you don't go back again and again to theology. We see that in Psalm 22. We also see David seeks the nearness of God by remembering the intimacy of God. In verses 9 and 10, he says this, Yet you are he, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. 
we remember the intimacy that God offers. What a, what a beautiful picture of that intimacy these verses paint. God knew you before you ever knew him. He knew you even when you were in the womb, when you weren't even out in the world yet. And when you were just a little baby in your mother's arms, God was with you. And God does not change. You've changed a lot since then. You're definitely not as cute as you used to be when you were a little baby. But God remains the same and he loves you and is with you just the same. In theology, we seek to know God, but we're reminded in the intimacy of God that God knows you better than you'll ever know him. And he even knows you better than you know yourself. Lastly, we see David seeks the nearness of God in community. In verse 25, it says, From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. And here we see that we experience the nearness of God as we experience nearness with one another. Of course, we must be able to worship God even when we're by ourselves. But worship is never meant to be only by ourselves. Worship is never meant to be only a solo activity. And in Psalm 22, we see David talking not only about his brothers and sisters who are around him, worshiping God with him, but David even goes as far as to talk about the nations. And he talks about the generations. And as we look outward toward community, it actually helps us to stop looking inward just at ourselves. And we look upward to God together. And we help each other to do that. And we can even help the next generation do that. Pastor Jimmy shared so wonderfully last Sunday about how we are uh, called to reach out to our next generation as we seek to mature as a church. And in verse 30 of our text, it talks also about telling the next generation about the Lord. And when we worship in the midst of our pain, what you're actually doing is you're leaving a legacy of worship. It doesn't just help you to worship God in the midst of the dust of death, but it even helps the next generation who sees you when they see that worship isn't just something we do when everything's going right, but it's something we even do when everything is going wrong. And it leaves this legacy of worship and praise even for the next generation. And as we talk about just looking outward towards community in general, we got to recognize, yes, it is harder than ever to stay connected as we're all staying at home. But please do not underestimate the power of a phone call, a text message, an email, just letting someone know that you're thinking about them, you're praying for them, you care about them. There are still ways to stay connected, and now more than ever, we have to fight to do that, even for the sake of our nearness with God. In our pain, we see our need for God most clearly. I think that's something we see throughout Psalm 22 and probably throughout all the Psalms and even just in our own experience. In our pain, we see how helpless we are. We see how not in control we are. And we see that the answer to our pain is God himself. When the dust of death begins to cloud everything around us and starts to strip things away from our lives, what matters most rises to the top. Throughout this quarantine time, I had the privilege of 
officiating a few weddings, some COVID weddings. Some of them were literally just four people, me as the officiant, the couple, and one witness. And these were very simplified wedding ceremonies. Uh, I've, I've done another wedding where it was a few more people, but even then there was a lot that was stripped away. And these weddings were, of course, unfortunate for these couples because so much got stripped away. The nice venues, the large guest list, the big meal, the beautiful flowers and decorations, being able to be with all those different loved ones. And of course, these couples had to deal with a big loss. But something I felt every time as the officiant for these weddings, and I know these couples felt it too, was that these, in these stripped-down COVID weddings, the vows that they made to each other were even more powerful. I really got the feels every time in a very profound way. And I'm sorry to all the other couples I've officiated for prior to COVID. You guys are special too, of course. But when these couples made these vows, it, it reminded us that it's so much more than just the wedding day that this is all about, that it's about the marriage itself. And as they made these promises of, of uh, for better or worse, in sickness and in health, as they made these promises of commitment and faithfulness, what matters most rose to the top as everything else got stripped away. And in the same way, no matter what you're going through during this season, whether it's personal circumstances or just the general hardship and fatigue and discouragement of this season when we feel like so much of life is being stripped away we see even more how much we need the nearness of god above all else christ central would you continue to draw near to god in worship let that be your intention every sunday as you tune into our online service i know it's so easy to be passive because we watch other YouTube videos passively. But this is no ordinary video. God meets us in our worship of him. And would your prayer, every time you open the Bible in your personal quiet times, or every time you gather with the saints, even virtually, would your prayer be, oh Lord, do not be far off. Do not be far off. Be near to me. Meet with me, God. Would that be your prayer and intention every time? And let me tell you, James 4, 8, I love this verse these days. James chapter 4, verse 8 gives us this promise. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We have to recognize it may require some patience. It might, requ it might require perseverance and a little bit of fight in you. But this is a promise of the scriptures that we believe. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Here's the last way we worship God in the dust of death. In your pain, remember the perfect worshiper. Remember the perfect worshiper. There might be some of you who are thinking, Pastor, uh, that's, that's easy for you to say. You don't know what I'm going through. I, I, I'm in a lot of pain. And I don't feel like Psalm 22 is something I can do or even want to do. I'm overwhelmed I don't have a lot of fight in me. And I hear you. I feel you. And as we think about Psalm 22, we must remember that these opening words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, were the words of Jesus as he hung upon the cross. 
And Psalm 22 ultimately is what happened to Jesus as he was pierced and as he was mocked and as he shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus knew the scriptures perfectly. He knew the scriptures completely and perfectly. And when he said those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew the whole Psalm. He knew the the entirety of Psalm 22. He wasn't quoting this out of context. And he knew and echoed the worshipful heart of King David as well. Jesus would be the perfect worshiper even on a cross. And Jesus exemplified the full heart of Psalm 22 even when he was truly forsaken. You see, David, he felt forsaken, but he really wasn't. And you and I, in our deepest of pains and troubles and sorrows, we, will, we might often feel forsaken, but we really are not. But Jesus would be truly left alone on that cross. The Father would turn his face away. And Jesus would cry out, why have you forsaken me? So that you and I could hear the voice and the promise of God saying, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And that's what allows us to do Psalm 22 more and more. To worship even in the dust of death. Little by little every day we can begin to do Psalm 22 only because Jesus did Psalm 22 perfectly in our place. He was the perfect worshiper. And when you trust him, when you put your hope in him, when you follow him, he will make worshipers out of you. I just want to close with a reading from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 to 16. Here's what it says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Beloved church, you can draw near to the throne of grace. You can draw near to your God, not because you're such a good worshiper, but because Jesus was the perfect worshiper in our place, even on a cross. And Jesus was truly forsaken. And because of that, he walks with us. He comforts us. He strengthens us. He sympathizes with us, even in the dust of death. And if there's anyone listening in who doesn't know Jesus, if you happen to just tune into this worship service and you're not quite sure about your faith, I do want to encourage you to think about this. To what or to whom will you run to? in the dust of death, when the dust of death inevitably comes for you. Let me tell you, Jesus is willing to draw near to you. In fact, he went up to a cross to do just that for the sake of forgiving our sins and restoring our intimacy with God. So would you trust in Jesus and he will make a worshiper out of you who can actually have joy, hope, strength, and salvation even in the dust of death. Let's pray together. I actually want to give you a few moments uh, to respond in silent prayer, in personal prayer. Would you come before your God 
Would you pray Psalm 22 to him now? Would you cry out to him, do not be far off, even as I'm laid down in the dust of death. Let's spend a few moments praying and, and, and coming to Jesus together. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that so often worship is not the first reaction of our hearts. But God, we thank you for these wonderful truths, these statements that remind us to fight for worship as we are reminded of your faithfulness, your holiness, how worthy you are of our praise, as we are reminded that you knew us from the womb, that you were with us even when we were in our mother's arms and especially as we are reminded of the perfect worshiper, Jesus Christ, who took our place on that cross. As we look to him and as we remember him, would we be drawn to our knees, looking upward instead of inward? And would that be what causes us to worship even in the dust of death? We pray for your help. We pray for your comfort for all of our, our people, for all of our beloved brothers and sisters. Would you continue to comfort, strengthen, and most importantly, would you save? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.